so that when they see you again, that's what they think of. So my goal isn't that necessarily, that you think well of me. But I wanted to leave you with something that is a, uh, a uh, positive, uplifting thing. So this morning we're going to be in, first, in Philippians chapter 1. Yesterday we were in Philippians chapter 3. So we're kind of going backwards, but that's okay. Uh, so we'll turn there, Philippians chapter 1. Kingdom building uh, is oiled by encouragement. And I'm sure you can all remember people that encouraged you through the years and made a difference in your life. This may surprise you, but when I was a middle teenager, I stuttered very badly. I stuttered so much I, couldn't, I could barely put two words together without stuttering. That may surprise you, but that was a fact. The Lord has done an amazing thing in my life, and I, I give him all the credit. Um, but I say that because that was in 7th and 8th grade and on up through high school. But in high school, my senior year, I was asked to have a chapel talk with the student body one day. And it went really well. And I was surprised myself, really. Uh, but the Lord was with me, is what I'm saying. And afterward, one of my colleagues that had been with me through all 12 grades of high school, all through all 12 grades of school, in two different schools, he, clapped, he slapped my back. He said, you've come a long ways, Phil. I have never forgotten that. I can still feel his hand in my shoulder. That's what that meant to me, that word of encouragement. Encouragement goes so far and so long, it's so powerful, we don't do near enough of it. And one of the... Uh, one of the things that I've heard through the years, and this is somebody's thoughts. It's not necessarily a Bible, but they said, for every word of criticism, you need to give 10 words of encouragement. Try for that ratio. You know, we, we have our formulas for happiness, our call to the, the common culture around us. So the, the first thing about being happy is you blame someone else, right? That's the most important thing. It's always somebody else's fault. The second thing to be happy is that you find something to complain about at least once a day. Okay? The third thing, that's, those two are kind of negative, right? So the third thing is you want to be more positive. Brag about yourself. That's better. You do those three things every day, you're going to be happy. Does it work? Absolutely not. No, it's the opposite. It's, 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 not, what, it's, it's not the truth. It's not the scripture. Uh, it's the lie from the, from the devil. Uh, but encouragement is, is an art that is kind of lost in our culture, uh, in, in the common culture around us, and even in our own culture. We're much better at giving criticism or giving neutral comments than giving encouraging comments. And I want to encourage us to be very encouraging with each other. There's something you can do, a gift you can give to somebody every day. It doesn't cost you a thing, but it means so much and it's so valuable, it's simply by giving encouragement to people around you. Uh, your wife, your husband, your children, uh, the clerk, you know, at, at, at Walmart or whatever. So here's a line, 10 people long, and, you know, everybody's in a hurry, and you finally get to the line, and this poor cashier is all frazzled. Just give her a word of encouragement. You're doing a good job, ma'am. Keep up the good work. <laughs> you're keeping everything straight. You're getting us through line. You're doing a good job. Give her a word of encouragement. You know, if a policeman stops you, and, and I hope that doesn't happen. But if he does, thank him for doing his job. You know, he hardly ever hears that, I'm sure, you know. 
but thank him for doing his job because we need him. We need that kind of a thing. So give encouragement to people around you. That's one way to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It really is. When people hear you, give encouragement to them for the things that are noteworthy in their lives. <clears throat> uh, I heard you sing. That's, I want to sing another song. Is that okay? <laughs> and it kind of relates to uh, the first message more than the others, but you know the song, Would You Be Poured Out Like Wine? You know that song? Okay, the third line goes, life and love, no. Life, light, and love. It's alphabetic order. Life, light, and love. Okay. Would you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? Would you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Would you be so one with me that I would do just as you will? Would you be life and light and love my word fulfilled? Yes, I'll be poured out like wine upon the altar for you. Yes, I'll be broken like bread to feed the hungry. <clears throat> yes, I'll be so one with you that I will do just as you will. Yes, I'll be life and light and love my word, your word fulfilled. Yeah. <clears throat> Wonderful song of commitment there. I like that. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, it's a great chapter of, of encouragement. The whole book is a happy little book. I just love the book of Philippians. It's a wonderful book to meditate on. If you ever feel a little cloudy here and a little, little down or just a little crusty, meditate on Philippians. It's such a wonderful little happy book. <clears throat> but uh, I'd like to read a portion of Philippians chapter 1 here, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how great and I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in love and in, all in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And then he goes on. This epistle was written in prison. He mentions it in verse uh, 7, in my bonds. He was in prison. And uh, if you ever have a chance, any of you have been to Rome? Rome's a wonderful place to visit and, and spend some time in. If you ever have a chance, to get to Rome. Go to the Mamertine prison. It's where he was in prison when he wrote this. You can go down and actually be in the, in the actual spot where he was. It's a three-level three affair. The top level is where the administrative staff sat. There's a hole in the floor, and the ladder goes, went down through that hole to a second level, which was also stone or whatever, and that's where the guards were. There's a hole in the floor where the ladder went down to a dirt cellar, and that's where Paul was, down in the basement there. It's dark. It's a big area, probably about the diameter of this room, maybe something like that, not this big. <clears throat> He's down there, dark. You know, in, in 2 Timothy, he writes to... Uh, his colleagues said, Timothy, bring my cloak. It's 
cold down here. Bring the parchments. You know, bring. He, what do you do down there 24-7 in darkness? He was there in prison when he wrote this. Imagine. And it's such a, such a happy little positive epistle, but he wrote it in such a negative circumstance. That speaks a lot of his character. It speaks a lot of his personal walk with the Lord. He had met the Lord in a very powerful way, in an ongoing way, and he was able to rejoice even in that circumstance. And that's a powerful testimony for, for us and an inspiration for us. So he, he wrote this in prison here. And he's thinking about the people at Philippi where he had visited, and he knew some of them, and he was connected with them. And so he's writing to them there. And I'd like to pick out here what he said to them that was encouraging. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Someone paraphrase that in your own words. What was he telling them? Yeah, I like thinking about you. Isn't that positive? Does somebody ever tell that to you? I like thinking about you. That makes you feel good, right? You know, it's, it's very encouraging. How about verse 4? Always in every prayer of mine, making uh, mine for you all, making requests with joy. Paraphrase that in your own words. What's he telling them? Yes. Isn't that positive? Isn't that wonderful? Someone say that to you? Makes me happy to pray for you. What an encouraging way to relate to somebody. How about verse 5? For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paraphrase that in your own words. I'm glad we're in this together. Amen. Yeah. There's a connection, a bond there, you know. Uh, there in Philippi, he's in Rome in prison, but we're a part of a, of a wonderful project, a wonderful work that's going on, and we're both working together on this. Yeah, that's powerful. How about verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, which is my theme verse for these sessions. What's he saying in your own words? Paraphrase that in your own words. So what's he saying to them? You're going to make it. Okay. Say some more. Yeah. You're going to make it. What else? Yeah, yeah. And I'm excited about what's going to happen with you yet. You've got a great future ahead of you, and things are, good things are going to be happening. I just know it and feel it and sense it, and I'm glad it's going to be happening. What a wonderful way to encourage someone. How about verse 7? Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. Say that in your own words. What's he encouraging? Or how's, how would you paraphrase that? And again, we're in this together. How about the first part of there? He said, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. What's he saying there? Yes, it's right. You've earned the, the right for me to think this about you. There's something about your character that is, is inspiring me, and it's right that I think this about you. I remember a man years ago <clears throat> that I had wronged. I had been a difficult uh, subject of his... Uh, of his leadership, <clears throat> and I, I 
the Holy Spirit's so kind to us. You know that? So very kind. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I went back to him, and this was after a period of time had elapsed, and we had some time to work on things and, and work things out. And he said to me, he said, you've earned, uh, how should I, I forget how, he, it, was, it was that idea. He said, you've earned my forgiveness. That's no problem at all. You know, in other words, he was very positive in his response to me. That meant a lot to me that he said that. And that's what Paul's saying here. You've earned the right that I think this about you. Your character speaks for you. <clears throat> how about verse 8? For God is my record, how great, uh, long after you are on the bowels of Jesus Christ. How would you paraphrase that? Amen. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that special? You know, I just think that they would have been so warm in their hearts when they read this from the Apostle Paul. I just think that was just a, such a wonderful gift. And kingdom building is oiled with encouragement. It really is. We can be honest. We can be just. We can be true. We can be all those things that we're really supposed to be, according to the scriptures. But without the oil of encouragement, it doesn't go near as far. The only encouragement does so many things to just make everything better. <laughs> it really does. I know you know this. It's not a new idea to you, but I encourage us to practice it, to practice it. And, and think about your wife. Think about how can I please my wife today? Think about your husband. What can I do that would be special for him today? Think about your colleagues you work with on the, on the, on the, on the, on the floor. What do you call them? Wards? No, you call them uh, households. In the households, you know, or wherever you are, Faith Mission or Mountain View, you know, th think about the people you work with. What can I do that will be a special gift to that person today? And do that. Make that a, a habit of yours. Make that something you think about in the morning when you start your day. Now, think about the people you're going to meet and talk to and think about how you can give them a gift of encouragement and plan to do it. If this is the kind of thing where it doesn't happen by accident for most of us, <laughs> you know. Our, our, uh, our default is criticism, and our, uh, our, or at least you know, some kind of a negative comment. That's sort of our default for many of us. And then, you know, if we're not critical, we're just neutral. Well, that's normal. You're supposed to be like that. You, know, it's, you haven't done anything extraordinary. You're supposed to be like that. So we're kind of neutral. But if we go out of our way and be intentional about being encouraging, and make it genuine, make it sincere. Don't make it something that's superlative, that's not real. Make it genuine and sincere, but be encouraging. And look for ways to encourage people around you. Look, when you begin your day, think about the people you're going to meet today and how can I be an encouragement to them. And that will leave a mark for Jesus Christ, both in your Christian colleagues and in non-Christian people that you meet. It really will. And I just see Paul doing that. And it happens further in the book, too. But I just love this book. It's, it's a wonderful little, happy little book, and I like to meditate on it, especially in cloudy days. It's just a good book. Then he goes on here, and he has this threefold prayer that I just really enjoy as well. <clears throat> Verse 9, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And then he also prays that you may prove things that are excellent. And thirdly, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. That's my prayer for you all. As you go from here, you go back to your responsibilities, back to your areas of work and what you're doing. I pray that this will be your your standard. This will be happening in your life. First of all, that your love would abound more and more. What does that mean? When love abounds, what's that mean? Overflows. Can you think of a picture that that uh, if you were draw if you were to draw love abounding, what would you draw? 
Okay. Although there's a difference. Is that really a bounding? If it was somebody put total bass in the pond. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? <laughs> you think of all that coming out there. Okay. Now, I'm not disagreeing with you. That, that there's a power source that makes that thing go, okay? Uh, and so that's a bounding. <clears throat> I think of an artesian well. You ever seen an artesian well? You have them around here? No? Probably not here in Arkansas. They are in different places of the country. My father-in-law in Indiana, he built a house a number of years ago, and he dug a well in the front yard, and it was an artesian well. The water just came. Just came. And, of course, he put it through his house and... and uh, built a pond out back and filled the pond and it went through the pond and on down the creek and it kept on flowing. It just flowed and flowed and flowed. That's a, that's a bounding when it just flows and flows and flows. It just comes on its own accord. <clears throat> it comes because of pressure underneath, inside. See, ministry for God happens, begins in our heart and flows out from there. That's like an artesian well. Like, okay, so the fountain here has a power source down in that we can't see. And in that sense, it is a bounding. <coughs> Although, you have to feed that power source in order to make it happen. An artesian well, the source is down there. You don't have to do anything. It just, it just happens, right? Uh, now, we lived in Romania. <clears throat> we had a well there that was, oh, probably 50 feet deep and maybe 8 feet wide. It was a hand-dug well. It was a lot, had a lot of water. There was plenty of water in there. We had water for the entire community. We could have fed the, watered the entire community with that well. It was a really good well. But there was one thing about it. It didn't come on its own. You had to draw it out. And I had a bucket there. You could draw it out all you wanted to. You could have all the water you wanted to, but you had to draw it out yourself. Sometimes our love is like that. I'll love you if you love me. I'll do for you if you do for me. You make me feel good, so I'll make you feel good. The difference between an artesian well and a well like we had was that artesian well gives water to whoever comes without any regard for qualities, qualifications, without any regard of who they are or what they are or where they came from. That's a bounding love. The well we had in our courtyard was conditional. You had to draw it out yourself. You could have it, but you had to draw it out yourself. And my prayer for you is that you have a love that abounds more and more and more, that flows and flows and flows. <clears throat> and as you cultivate that kind of love in your unit, in your family, in your community, you're going to have people knocking your door and saying, you know, what's going on here? Can we become a part of what's happening here? Can we join you? Can we, can we also experience what you have here? It draws people in. It's exciting. It's infectious. It's, it's uh, contagious. It, 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 people want it, and they come to it. They're drawn to it. Jesus Christ is that kind of a person. You read in Matthew 5 here, he sat on the mount, and the people came to him. He was out in the wilderness. They went out there looking for him. And, you know, he fed them. There were so many, and he said, well, we better feed these people. You know, they're going to go hungry. So he fed them out there. They came unprepared to, for any length of stay. They just came because they wanted to be with him. And that's the kind of people we should be. Abounding love makes us that kind of a person. People want to be with us. They want to, to have the same Jesus we have. They want to be, they're drawn to the, to the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's abounding love. <clears throat> And it's a blessing to have and experience that in other people and to share that back to other people as well. Abounding love includes forgiveness. And we talked about that some yesterday. Forgiving others. That's so very important. 
One of the hardest things for me in forgiveness was simply letting go. I remember things that had happened in my life, things that were hurtful to me. And, you know, okay, so I forgive that person. But what do you do with the hurt that keeps on hurting? The gift that keeps on giving in hurt. You can forgive someone, but if they keep offending you, you keep forgiving them, but the offense is still there. The hurt is still there. What do you do with that? For me, that was a real struggle. Being able to let it go. And one of the things that was helpful for me in that regard is when I realized when Jesus went to Gethsemane, he yielded up his will. Not my will, but thine be done. And he went to the cross, was crucified. And after the crucifixion, there was a resurrection. And after the resurrection, can you imagine his disciples and him talking and saying, ha, ah, remember what they said when I was on the cross? Come down from the cross if you're Jesus Christ. And referring back to hurtful things that were said back then. Did Jesus do that? Did he? No. It was done. It was past. It was gone. It was no longer in his life. It was something that happened back there, but it was not a present reality at all. And when we forgive someone, we release it. We let it go. We put it in the hands of Jesus. We, we put a burden on him, and we're free. We experience freedom, but we have to let it go. And honestly, some of those things that happen to us that are hurtful to us, God intends to use to squeeze us into his mold. You get what I said? God wants to squeeze us into his mold. His mold is different than ours. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are better than ours. They're superior. He wants us to think like him, to act like him, to mimic him. He has a mold for every one of us. And he puts us in that mold, and it's like putting a, a square peg in a round hole at first. But he starts putting on the pressure. Starts squeezing out those edges, right? Starts changing the contours. And, oh, oh, oh. We groan and we struggle, but God's purpose is to squeeze us in his mold. He knows exactly how much pressure it's going to take to change us and to squeeze us into his mold. And that God intends, I believe, to use the hurts that come our way for that very purpose. He said, oh, that's injustice. I remember saying this myself, a certain thing that happened. I said, that's not even God's will. That should never have happened to me. Oh, who do I think I am? that I can determine God's will in this matter. You get what I'm saying? Is it God's will that we're hurt? Why or why not? What are your thoughts? Okay. <laughs> Very well said, Leonard. <laughs> Very well said. Consider the uh, Old Testament history. So here's the Israelites. And they're brought into Canaan. And the iniquity of the Canaanites is full. So God used the Israelites to punish the Canaanites and cleanse the land. The Israelites, for a while, serve God. But they become evil and wicked. What does God do? He brings in who? 
when Judah went into captivity, who took him into captivity? The Babylonians, right? Was that God's will? Maybe it depends how you use the words. But God did it, right? God brought the Babylonians to punish the Israelites. And guess what he did to the Babylonians later on? He punished them. Is God silly? No, he's sovereign. Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely. Do I understand it? Not at all. And so when I'm hurt, can I grasp the fact, embrace the fact that God wants to use this to squeeze me into his mold? If we can do that, we can truly abound with love. We truly can. But if we're not willing to do that, we can't abound in his love. That love can't flow through us in the abounding way. Forgiveness. So much a part of abounding love. Letting go. You see, it's, it's kind of fun to bring up, you know, so someone hurt you whenever it was. And you're talking to a best friend. You say, oh, yeah, you remember what it, you just kind of like to bring it up. You just kind of like to talk about it a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? We are that way, aren't we? I am. You know, you like, kind of like to savor it just a little bit. Oh, I forgave that person. But, you know, it, it feels kind of tastes a little good to savor how awful he was. Letting go means we let go of that. It's no longer part of our conversation. Jesus' disciples, they didn't go back there. That was done. That was over. It was finished. Now, G Peter made reference to the fact that Jesus had been crucified when he talked to the, some of the Jewish leaders. He made reference to the fact, but he wasn't out there uh, crucifying, or he wasn't out there criticizing or necessarily tearing them down for what they'd done. He was just mentioning it as a fact, okay? That's different than savoring it and tasting it and saying, oh, you know, kind of, I remember what they did to me back there, you know. Uh, but forgiveness means letting go. Canceling the debt and putting it all in, hands, in the hands of Jesus. And it's a burden. Uh, coming back to the point, so what do I do with the hurt that keeps on hurting? Here's a person that should come and confess to me but doesn't. He doesn't even realize he's done wrong, and yet it's very hurtful to me. I can forgive him, so what do I do with the ongoing hurt? It's in worship, the first session we had here. It's in worship that we take that. We put our burdens in the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. A yoke is when you have two animals together. They bear the burden together, right? In the case of Jesus, we go in the yoke with Jesus. What happens to our burden? He takes it. He takes it. He carries it for us and sets us free. But it's in the yoke we find that freedom. In the yoke with Jesus Christ. That's where we find forgiveness, and that's where we find freedom in Christ. That's where we find abounding love, being yoked with Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you all, that you have a love that would abound more and more and more. Corey Ten Boom, you know her story. She, was, she and her family were taken to the concentration camps during World War II, and her family all perished in the camps except for her. She survived. And after the 
after the war was over. She was, this is her story. She gives her testimony. And you probably heard this already. Uh, she, she was going around talking and giving um, talks about, I'm not sure what all, but her experience and the work of God in her life and so on. And one day, she was at a meeting and she gave her testimony. Afterward, a German man came up to her and shook her hand and said, do you remember me? At first, she didn't. No prompting, she did. He was one of her persecutors. He put out his hand. What was she going to do? Turn it away? She faltered. She hesitated by her own testimony. But then she took his hand and shook it. She shook it away. She let it go. She forgave him. That's abounding love. <clears throat> and we need to do the same. And Jesus makes very clear, if we don't forgive those who have, who have hurt us, that hinders him from forgiving us our sins. It's a matter of eternal salvation. It really is. It's a serious matter. Being able to forgive and letting go, putting our burdens in the, in the feet of Jesus, and uh, in the heart of Jesus, letting him carry our burdens, sets us free. That's so very important for our daily salvation, our sanctification. <clears throat> so that's my prayer for you all. You'd have that kind of love. And you have that kind of love, abounding love. You're going to have people come to you and say, what is it that you have? I want what you have. They want to join your, your organization. They want to join your family. They want to join your church. They want to join whatever you're doing because it's so attractive to them. Our world is so, so barren of this kind of thing. And we have a golden opportunity as believers to share this, share Christ in this way with people around us. Let's not fail to do it. Let's be encouraging in that way. <clears throat> the second thing Paul prayed for the, his, uh, his readers here, that you would be uh, things that you would approve, things that are excellent. What's excellent? <clears throat> Some translations say special. You would approve things that are special, set apart. Is there a difference between excellent and good? What's the difference? Okay, that's good. Something that excels even the good. Can we say that the worst enemy of the excellent is the good? Are we sometimes satisfied with what's good enough and fail to achieve the excellent? I think so. He prays for them that they would approve things that are excellent. That's the kind of Christianity he wanted in them. Something that was real, genuine, uh, authentic, life-giving. Something that was uh, powerful in its own way. Uh, it, was, it was something that you couldn't stop or resist. I occasionally help my wife with things around the house. And from time to time, I'll, you know, I'll fix the bed covers. We get out of bed in the morning, someone has to arrange the covers again. You know, I can do it, and it's good enough. But when she does it, it's get the point. You know, there's a touch there that's excellent. And the Christianity that we should have should be of that quality, excellent. The, the funny thing is, people around us who are not Christians expect it of us. They're the first ones to accuse us for not being what we should be. <laughs> You're not supposed to talk like that. You're not supposed to dress like that. You're not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be something else. 
And they themselves don't even try to be that, but they recognize that we are supposed to be that way. And sometimes they find that offensive. Well, you can't expect me to be what you're not, but God's calling is high in our, in our lives. He wants us to excel in our walk with him. And he wants that, that's to demonstrate that to people around us. And it, good works demonstrates it, but in a greater way, our character coming from within is what authenticates it. If you're genuinely loving somebody, that will bear itself in your person, in your personality, in your bedside care, whatever it is. Uh, what's inside will, will permeate everything about you. And the opposite is true. If it's not in there, it will also permeate everything about you, even when you do good works. <clears throat> they need to prove things that are excellent, things that are superior, things that are of, of absolute excellent quality. A while ago, we were, had a chance to be in Kelowna, and what's the name of the city there? Des Moines, where the, the uh, cafe is? Iowa City. Uh, the church there, in, the Beachy Church in Kelowna started this uh, cafe in Iowa City. What's it called? Encounter. Encounter. You've been there? Have you noticed the excellent quality of that place? It just shines. It just sparkles and shines. And they thoroughly clean that place on a very regular basis. Take stuff apart. They, to, they, to, they go to all means to keep that place absolutely spotless. It shines and it shows. Iowa City is one of the most liberal cities in the United States according to local information I have there. As far as lesbian, gay, you know, whatever, transgender, they're all there. It's very much a part of the culture there. And those people love coming to this place. They want to work there. <laughs> these, these people with all kinds of unchristian backgrounds want to work there. Why? There's such quality there. There's such authenticity there. Now, they have a, they have a standard there. That they, the people working there are, are, of, a, are of their own subculture. And I think there's good reason for that. That helps to enhance what they're doing there. But I'm, I was amazed when I realized how attractive this, this cafe in, encounter, you said, is to the community. And the community is anything but Christian, anything at all but Christian. But they love it there. They crowd the place out. There's 200 spots to sit there. And there are often more people in there than what they can seat. It's just an amazing testimony for Christ because of their excellence. And I, I believe the same can be true, and I'm, I think it is in your, in your units, in your organization. Same can be true in your organization. That kind of excellence and quality will attract people. You won't have to go out there knocking in doors. Well, I guess you do, but, you know, people will want to come. You won't have to force them or try and persuade them with all kinds of, you know, sweet benefits. But they'll want to come because of the excellence that they find in your organization. That's my prayer for you, that you would be an excellent quality. The third thing he prays here, you be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. That word sincere is an interesting word. You look it up in a Greek dictionary. You know what it says? Somebody know? Without wax. Now tell us that doesn't mean anything. To them it did. In those days, they had people make pottery. There's still people who make pottery today, right? In those days, it was very much a part of their economy because you, you needed pottery for all kinds of things, you know, haul water, do your cooking, That's, that was their, that was some of the stuff of life for them to, to have these objects made of pottery. And so they had pottery makers, lots of them. They'd make their pottery, make their wares, and sell them. And <clears throat> there were different kinds of potterers. Some were of excellent quality, or some were of excellent character, and some were not. And we lived in Romania, and there was a 
pottery maker not too far from us. We always enjoyed going there and taking visitors there too. It was interesting watching them take this, this piece of, of dirty, uh, sloppy, uh, filthy smelling mud and make something beautiful out of it. They put it on their wheel, you know, and, and they, you know, it was, it was, they, they used it their foot, you know, and they turn this wheel, and they use their hands, and out of this ugly, ugly uh, uh, piece of mud and dirt, clay, would come this beautiful pot. It was just amazing. I had never ceased to, uh, tired, and never tired of watching them do that. It's, it's an art. Some of you have probably done it already, and it's a beautiful thing. But they take this, and, and they, they, they put it, they, they, they shape the pot, and they take time doing it well and right, you know, make it round or whatever they need and put the handle on and all the contours and all the little grooves and put all that in there. And when they're done with it, it's, it's on this round table. They take a wire and take it and separate it from the table, set it up on the shelf and let it dry. And after a certain period of drying, uh, they put it in a, in a very hot oven. I think it was 3,000 degrees, wasn't it? 3,000 degree oven, very, very hot. Uh, and, and, and watching the potter, I, I noticed one thing about his clothes. He always wore an apron from his neck all the way down to his ankles. You know, why? It's dirty work. You know, we're in, in the Bible, it tells us we are clay in God's table. He's making us, he's forming us as clay. As a potter makes, uh, uses clay to make pottery. The, uh, and I, I don't know, I never talked to his wife, but I bet she had a lot of dirty clothes to wash. You know, being a potter, all this dirt flying around, their clothes are very dirty, even with an apron. And God, in his sovereignty, makes us clay into beautiful pots. Do you think God gets dirty working with us? I'm thinking of the, uh, the parable of the uh, two sons, where the rebellious son went away, went to the pig pen, and came to the end of himself and came back, you remember what the father did when the, when the, the, the son appeared again? You remember what he did? Yes, and kissed him. Did he clean him up first? What do you think the father smelled like when he was done kissing his son and come from the pig pen? I'm just thinking how it would be, you know? And I think that's how the father is with us. We're pretty dirty, we're smelly. We're nothing great. Now, you know, you, you met the skunk face to face, you know. Probably worse than that to God, you know. In fact, it says our righteousness says it's filthy rags. Jeremiah tells us that. Filthy rag, a menstruous cloth, stinky, smelly, awful, gross. That's what we are. And God takes us and forms us. And that smell doesn't offend him. That dirt doesn't stop him from working with us. To me, that's such an encouragement. So anyhow, the potter takes this pot this clay, it makes a pot out. It's a beautiful pot. Puts it up on the shelf and lets it dry for a certain length of time. At the right time, he puts it in his oven. And in his oven, 3,000 temp- 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, very hot. He puts it in there for a certain length of time. I'm going to say hours because I don't know how long. And in the heat of that fire, the character of that pot is determined. It's in the heat of that fire, the character of that pot is established and determined. That's how it is with us, too. God forms us. And then what's he do? What's he do? Puts us in the oven. Yeah. Even Jesus. See, when Jesus, he was 12 years old in the temple. And he said to his parents, he said, don't you know I have to be about my father's business, heavenly father? 
But he went home and was with them for how many years? 18 years. So he was 30. Working in his father's shop. Learning the trade of a, of a tradesman. What his father calls him a carpenter, but I think he was actually a stonemason. I'm not sure. But learning a trade, working with his hands. At the age of 30 then, he's now ready to begin ministry. But what did God do with him first? Luke 4. Matthew 4. What did God do with him first before he began his ministry? And did what? Who met him there? Pardon? The devil. the devil met him there. Was that easy? That was the fire. That was the fire. Those temptations the devil gave him were very hard, sincere temptations. Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And then... Make, turn this stone into bread. Could he do that? Absolutely. He made bread out of almost nothing later on. You know, Sure, he could have turned that into bread. Wouldn't that taste good? Fresh bread? He resisted. Didn't do it. Jump down from the temple. Everybody's going crazy and worship you. Would that have been fun? Very strong temptation. All three temptations, very strong temptations. It was a heat of God's fire that God was using to prepare him to test him. And it's in that heat he puts us to. It's in the heat of that fire that our character is determined. I remember situations where, when I was quite young, and an older man went through a certain situation. And in my arrogance, I remember thinking, if that ever happens to me, I think I'd know how I'd respond. You know the rest of the story, don't you? What is it? It happened to me. How did I respond? No different than the guy before me. I wasn't a shade better than him. I was surprised at how badly I responded. But that's our human nature. That's our sinful nature. Without God, that's how we are. Without his power transforming us, that's how we are. And so, <clears throat> where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, so we need the heat of God's fire. And in that heat of God's fire is where our character is determined. And when you watch others go through that heat, don't judge them. And say, well, now this or that, you know, don't give, them, uh, don't give them trite answers and so on, but suffer with them. Realizing that, like Paul said, even I, also I can be tempted the same way. And I can fall the same way you can. Because it happens. And we're surprised how we respond wrongly sometimes. But in the heat of that fire is where this pot is determined. Is the character of the pot is determined. And so the, the, the pottery maker takes the pot out of the oven. He looks at it. And if the pot has good character, it's a nice pot. He paints it, he puts it in the shelf, and the people come and buy it, and it's very useful. But sometimes, and this actually happened, that's what this is about here. Sometimes he would take the pot out and see a little crack coming down the side. There was a, maybe an air bubble in, the, in the, the pottery or some, some kind of deficiency in the mud that caused that crack to form in the side of the pot. If he was a pottery maker of excellent character, he would destroy the pot and start over. If he wasn't, he would take wax and fill that in there. That's what he's saying here. I pray you'll be without wax. The pottery maker would put wax in that crack. Paint it, shine it up, put it in the shelf, and be for sale with all the others. So you're, you need a pot. You come in there and shop there looking for a pot. And you pick out the one that had a crack in it, but you don't know it. It has wax in the crack. You take it home, put it on your fire, and you're going to use it now to boil water. What happens? It leaks. 
crack is revealed. So you're disappointed. You got a bad deal. What do you think about the pottery maker? You going to go buy another pot from him? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You're going to stay away from him. Sometimes our Christianity is that way. Have you ever heard anybody say, I won't be a Christian because of so-and-so over there? Don't let that ever be said for you. Our Christianity shines through. And his prayer is that they be without cracks. That's my prayer for you as well. I was driving down the road. Four-lane highway. Two lanes going this way, two lanes going that way. There's a double yellow line in the middle. So I'm in the far right lane. There's just a curb. There's not a, not a shoulder. There's just a curb beside me. So there's a car sort of beside me, and I'm in the right lane. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there's a truck parked in my lane. What a place to park a rig. But there he was, parked in my lane. So I'm driving down through there. So I had a choice to make. You know what the choice was? I could brake, slow down, get behind the car beside me to go around the truck. Or I could step on the gas, speed up quick, get in front of the car and get around the truck. What do you think I did? Just because you would have done it, right? I did the latter. I sped up, got in front of the car, whew, made it. Got around the truck. The guy started blowing his horn at me. My wife wasn't paying attention at that point. She said, did you do something to bother him back there? Uh-huh. Our public, that's our public altar too. The way we present our, our Christianity in public is very important. And people around us notice what kind of a person we are. And they will judge your church by you. What if in the back of our car, I'd had a sign that said, follow me to my church. Think he'd have been impressed? No. Or, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, what if I'd have said, if I'd have said that in the back of my car? What Lord does Jesus Christ to him, you know? No. My prayer for you, for all of us, is that you would have a love that abounds more and more and more, brimming with forgiveness, that you would approve things that are excellent, and that you would be without wax, sincere, without wax, filled with righteousness, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. That's my prayer for you all. And I, I uh, just want to bless you. Keep encouraging each other. I've heard that here. You're encouraging each other, and that's a wonderful thing. Keep on doing that. Keep on encouraging your staff when you get back. Keep on encouraging yourself in the Lord. Keep on growing in him. And let these three prayers abound in your life, in your heart, that you would have a love that would abound more and more. You'd prove things that are excellent. You'd be without wax, sincere, until the day of Jesus Christ. God bless you real good. Let's sing that song one more time. Would you be filled, uh, would you be poured out like wine? Let's stand. Would you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? Would you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Would you be so one with me that you would do just as I will? Would you be life and light? And love your word fulfilled. Yes, I'll be poured out like wine upon the altar for you. Yes, I'll be broken.